apologies, listeners, for how I sound, but apparently long haul flights fuck me up. And like a week in Vegas. Yeah, and the week in the week in Vegas was fun. I had a very nice time. Tell us about it. Tell us about the. I mean, I saw you last night, but we didn't really talk about anything. Yeah, it was super fun. I um. Oh yeah, I turned thirty yesterday. Francine threw me a lovely party, and I'm wearing the lovely crown she got me. It's very regal. I feel very regal. <laughs> also, this is actually quite. This is the first hat that's been quite comfortable with my headphones. Good. And I want to hear about Vegas. Did you win many money? No, I probably came out at a loss, but not by much. And also, whenever you're sitting and gaming in the casinos, they come around and bring you drinks. Could it keep you there? Yeah. <laughs> but it meant so basically the money I lost is money I would have spent on drinks anyway, because drinks are crazy expensive. Yeah. It's like the first night I was there. So I've, I landed in Vegas at like six o'clock in the evening. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned my friend was had already been there most of the day and she'd booked us a table for dinner. So I like got to the hotel, showered, we went for dinner. And she was like, Oh, let's go like walk around. You can see the strip, it'll be fun. I was like, Yep, I've been awake for like 24 hours at this point. So this is this is the best thing I can do. So we kept walking around and I was like, I, I am not sure how I'm upright. I'm gonna keep going, but I'm That's not sure. It's a hell sure of a place to start getting like uh sleep deprivation de derealization. <laughs> well, my plan was Mia. like the longer i st- the longer i stay awake the more likely i'm i'll sleep and then get onto like a regular sleeping schedule while i'm here yeah we went ended up in the paris which is one of the, the big french themed casino there's like mm-hmm. a whole eiffel tower thing which i was mostly excited because you end up in a ruin of this casino in uh horizon forbidden west oh. sorry a mild spoiler but it was like shot for shot it's perfectly mapped onto it so i was mostly excited for that very cool I was hoping there'd be a big machine. There wasn't. But yeah, so she went and sat down at the bar and the bars all have these like video poker blackjack machines you can play. On the bar? Yeah, like they're incorporated into the bar. Oh no, like those horrible advert ones they've done in some American airports now. But poker. Oh wow. Poker. That's dystopian. She ordered a drink and put some money in it and then I ordered a drink and the guy was like, look, it's up to you. The martini you've ordered is $18 or you can stick $20 in the machine. Like right. it's up to you whether you want to pay for it or just play some blackjack. So I won like fifty dollars and got a martini. Profitable martini. Yeah. I mean I like can, I, I can see how that would set one off onto two addictions at once. I like it. Yeah. I mean, obviously yes. I, I am aware of my limits and stuff. Oh no, 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 yes, and... no. That's why I said one instead of you, because I know you are reasonably good when it comes to not getting addicted to everything. <laughs> But yeah, it was super fun. We saw some really fun shows. I ate a lot of food. There was many sushi, a lot of sushi. You did some fun little touristy things. We went to Margaritaville. That was fun. Margarita wasn't very good. They don't use fresh lime. I went to Mad Apple, which is the new Cirque du Soleil show. It was literally like their fifth show. And it was all New York themed and it was very fun. All the cocktails came in like little hip flask glass bowls with a brown paper bag. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's so. I love. I love how they. I'm not even being sarcastic. I really love the kind of tack that like Vegas seems to manage to attach to like historical stuff. Like it's just, it, it's, it really impresses me. Just it's amazing. It's yeah. so fun. 
uh, the I think probably the like wankiest hipster place I went to. We went to this show called Opium at the Cosmopolitan. The Cosmopolitan is like a super bougie casino. Yeah. The actual show was really fun. It was like a silly sci-fi, like we're all off to planet Uranus. Uh. Um, but there was like acrobats <laughs> and jugglers, and that was the one with a girl dancing with a giant balloon, and then she was in the balloon, and lots of dick jokes as well. It was super fun. But it was kind of like the performers had also come into like the restaurant and the bar. I think I tweet. I, I can't remember if I sent you or tweeted a picture. They had like a nerdy cocktail menu, so I had like a yuzu the force. There was a pangalactic gargle blaster. I know that one. Yes, and the cocktail I had had like a little light up thing, so it glowed bright green. That was really exciting for I me. Saw a picture of it on Twitter. Yes, that's it. Yeah. But did you play blackjack? I did. Uh, I sat down like once at a table that had like a cheap like five dollar buy-in and immediately lost my money and then went back to just playing the little machines and stuff but you got to try it and that's the main thing i got to try it. i didn't get a picture because you're not really supposed to take pictures around the tables okay i walked a lot um courtney lovely listener courtney did send me an email warning me that what seems like three city blocks will actually somehow be 500 miles okay and she was right everything is weird it's impossible to have a sense of space. Everything looks like it's just down the road and then it takes you an hour to walk there. Right, because everything's um, built at weird scales. Everything's just, yeah, built at weird scales. Like the streets don't go in a straight line because suddenly it goes off in a weird U thing and then you take an escalator. And I didn't send you this because you just got back from Vegas, but I listened to an episode of 99% Invisible about the architecture of Vegas. It's very interesting. I'll send it's, it also, it's very weird, like, I genuinely couldn't work out like which direction the hotel was facing in and ended up like looking at stuff on Google maps, like aerial views to try and work out where I was in relation to everything else. It was like, I could have sworn certain casinos were like right next to each other. And then I swear I crossed the road to get to one that I hadn't had to the day before. Like, I think the buildings move. Yeah. Also Caesar's palace. That seems right. Fucking giant. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's the, that's the famous one, isn't it? That was the one that I had like a fun little touristy moment when we yeah. went past it in the taxi coming yeah. from the airport. The montage moment. I did have my fun little montage moment coming down the strip. But yeah, it was a super fun trip. I'm not sure I'd do it for seven days again because I was very, very tired by the end of it. Not to worry then because we are now grounded back in uh, in, in the disc world, which is far less ridiculous and on we a normal people scale. I'm very excited. <laughs> it's so, been a couple of weeks, huh? I'd forgotten how to do things like read and open Zoom. Well, we haven't done Discworld since April. I've Mm. missed it. I mean, Johnny, the Johnny Maxwell books were fun, but I've missed the disc. Me too. Um, Although this part of the book has been very frustrating because, as I said to you earlier, I've got about three start of a talking points that would fit better later on. So that's fine. You'll have to bear with me as I go through like three half points and then come back to them. In another week, we could pretend it's on purpose, couldn't we? Pretend it's like a uh, not a cliffhanger, but you know, a hook. Yeah. Again, I said that, listeners. Yeah. You know, you could edit this out, right? <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, radical honesty. I like it. I like it. I, I can only ask politely that people forget what I've said. Beautiful. <laughs> like I don't edit my stupid show all the time. I usually ask you not to edit my stupid show. I like having a record. I leave of it, it in when it's funny. When it's both of us just going, uh, for 30 seconds, I try and cut that down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. There's only so much of me blindly staring in confusion that the listeners need to hear. <laughs> I could put together like a 30 minute montage of us just looking panicked at our notes on the screen. I know I put this in a note. <laughs> I know I did. Uh, right. Do you want to make a podcast then? Yes, I do. 
want to make a podcast. Let's make a podcast. Yes, let's do that. We can do it. We can remember. We know how to make a podcast. We've written some of it down. Some of it. Hello and welcome to The Tree Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, One Us Time, in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagan. And I'm Francine Carroll. And we are talking about the fifth elephant, the something Discworld. I've lost track of what number 24th Discworld. 24th. Wow, we're 24 books in. I know. So we haven't officially released episode 100 yet but we have passed like 100 episodes released now if you yeah. include all our bonuses which is quite exciting and we've hit over 100,000 downloads altogether which is also nice and I don't know because generally and I've had this uh, I've had a couple of like podcasters proper podcasters say this um like the industry is very opaque about how much uh how many listeners everyone has so yeah I don't know whether we're doing okay or really badly by just hitting 100,000, but I like round, round numbers. So, Thank you for everyone who has downloaded and listened to us. We love you to pieces. Spoilers, note on spoilers, before we crack on, we are a spoiler light podcast. Uh, obviously heavy spoilers for the book, The Fifth Elephant, although probably not for the last two thirds of it because I read it like two weeks ago and I'm 90% sure Francine hasn't read those yet. But I have read this a lot same but we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the discworld series and we're saving any and all discussion of the final discworld novel the shepherd's crown until we get there so you dear listener can come on the journey with us riding whichever cart you choose uh class solidarity or a good game of cards <laughs> the, the two genders <laughs> gender of the day is a good game of cards I'm so glad you introduced that phrase into my lexicon. <laughs> Whenever I list two things, I can't help it now, and it always makes me laugh. <laughs> it brings me joy. Uh, follow up. We have things to follow up on. We do. We have a couple. Hold on. Let me reopen my notes. So, uh, Millennium Hand and Shrimp, Joanna. Yes, we keep forgetting that we know the origin of that. I had completely forgotten because I, I was going to bring it up as a, hey, I finally found this out because Pratt Chat mentioned it, but um, a, you you already knew it and had just had just been reminded by a helpful user. Oh, um, yes. Uh, uh, John Clark, who pointed us in the direction of an annotation in Elseface. So we must have read it, which, as, as John helpfully summarized, someone may have already pointed this out, but Millennium Hand and Shrimp was spat out by a program slash toy Pratchett used that combined snippets from various text sources. Millennium Hand from the lyrics of Particle Man and something, Hand and Shrimp from a Chinese menu. I think it was Lords and Ladies. Yes, that sounds right. Yeah. But this shows how good we are at retaining information. In fairness, there is a lot of information. There is. I have learned a lot doing this podcast and I've forgotten 60% of it. In a moment of huge frustration, trying to find out when another podcast had talked about something that I was trying to look up for this episode, I very briefly thought to myself about making a reference spreadsheet about the topics we've covered. And then uh, I got very tired thinking about it. So I'll wait, I'll wait until I'm meant to be sleeping. Yeah, cool. And just Not everything needs a spreadsheet. No, but like referencing stuff is helpful. No, okay, fine. That is actually a sensible use of a spreadsheet. I'll allow it. We also got a lovely listener email oh. from Elizabeth who said a positive thing about video games, possibly for follow-up. And I love it when listeners send us emails and tell us where we can put them in the episode. Yes. That, that sounded sarcastic, sarcastic, but it's not. But yeah. no. <laughs> I can see Joe's face. She's grateful. <laughs> Tetris has been used to help prevent post-traumatic stress symptoms. Oh, 
um, as Elizabeth's a psychologist and the EMDR practitioner, so she's been following the research. It's a helpful sort of start to processing before someone starts doing, say, something like EMDR. And the key is to play Tetris in the six hours following the event when the memory is still unstable, apparently. Uh, there's a link with a lot more information that I'll put in the show notes. It just but, like overwrites the... Yeah, I think it's like it gives your brain memory. something very clear to yeah. cling on to. Huh. Um, but yeah, that's cool. really a nice bit of positivity in video games. I love that. Um, I have two posts in our subreddit that I just wanted to mention. William T. Goat and PSPD have both posted their um, their festival fits. If you go on the subreddit, PSPD has posted his distinctly Ogian feet and legs with many layers, which also, is quite cool. Also new rocks, which we were just talking about a few ah, weeks ago. Uh, he did also tweet us a very good picture of the mud-coated new rocks, and I have oh, a nice. lot of respect for them. Um, and William Tigo has posted a battle vest with Born to Rune. And Fabricati DM PBNC. That brought me a lot of joy. Yeah. So, so yeah. Nice. I've been getting pictures from Becky for download, so I'm feeling slightly jealous, but at the same time, aware of the fact I wouldn't cope terribly well at a festival these days. <laughs> My friend and I did actually talk about going before I decided on the Vegas trip because I couldn't have done the Vegas trip, come back yeah. and gone straight to download like I would have fucking died. Or discovered a new post-exhaustion state and then died when you got back. I feel like I could have possibly transcended to a higher level of being. Like yeah. That might be what helps me eventually become a, an orb. Yes. But it probably wasn't worth the risk. I would like to go again at some point, though. I, I do sort of miss it. Um, do you want to introduce us to the book, The Fifth Elephant? Absolutely. So The Fifth Elephant, the fifth elephant is, as we said, the 24th Discworld novel. It was released in November 1999. It is the fifth in the Watch series. So the blurb is, Sam Vimes is a man on the run. Yesterday he was a duke, a chief of police and the ambassador to the mysterious, fat, rich country of Uberwald. Now he has nothing but his native wit in the gloomy trousers of Uncle Vanya. Don't ask. It's snowing. It's freezing. And if he can't make it through the forest of civilization, there's going to be a terrible war. But there are monsters on his trail. They're bright. They're fast. They're werewolves. And they're catching up. Da, da, da. I don't know. I said that with such a weird cadence, possibly because I'm reading it for the first time. I enjoyed it. <laughs> the downside of ebooks. <laughs> Do you know what the blurb even might be in the like in the metadata somewhere of the ebook? I've even bothered. Right. Anyway, um, the only other thing I have to say about the like the release of it is the thread in the alt.fan.pratchett group in February 1999 inadvertently hit on like a minor plot point in the book. So like the the suggestion that Sybil might be pregnant. Ah, uh, yeah. And Pratchett wrote quite a long comment saying like, don't take this the wrong way. This isn't meant in any like negative way, but this has kind of been the straw that broke the camel's back. I have to leave the group because it looks like many... I'm copying ideas. Yeah, yeah, this is in the draft of yeah. the next book you're talking about it like I, I can't be here in case people accuse me of stealing ideas um he did come back I'm not sure I haven't found the um the thread in which he did and whether he ever explained it or what but I'm including this as a point because there's a very interesting discussion of like netiquette and that underneath and it's from 1999 so it's all just it's quite cool so I'll link to it and oh, yeah. that's enjoyable yeah I like and that I know we've talked in a bit more length about Pratchett not like 
wanting to hang around the internet too much after a while because of the worries about that. But yeah, it was uh, yeah. the first time I'd found that one. Do you remember like reading this one for the first time? No, no, you this don't. was this was uh, back in the you know my childhood read throughs. Yeah. This is actually, I think, one of the earliest Discworld ones I read. This is definitely the first one of the watch books I read. Oh. Because, so my copy, I'm going to hold this up for the ones who are watching on video, is uh, it's kind of trashed. So- somewhat foxed, slightly badgered. A bit badgered around the ears. <laughs> so I actually stole this. Um, Good. You know, our, our sort of ex-friend I used to live with. Yeah. Uh, that, that was That was his... And I was just getting into Discworld. Like, I think I'd read Soul Music and maybe like two or three others. Uh-huh. And that one was on the shelf. So I picked it up and read it. And I hadn't read any of the other watch books. It was a while before I did. So I had like no context for a lot of what was happening. But that made it kind of fun. And I, because it was one of the first ones I read, I really love it. So I've reread it so many times over the years that now my copy is falling apart. I like that. And it brings me a lot of joy. It is also just a very good a very good book. Like, oh, it's so quite, good. Quite from the like nostalgia stuff. And I agree, like there's a lot, again, a lot of passages in here that just like a, a part of my unfiled Pratchett folder in my head. Like, yeah, I just know that's something he said somewhere. <laughs> a bit like Carpe Jugulum, like you forget yeah. so many good lines actually came from this book. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what, what comes next? Um, you summarize I'm- it. I'm going to attempt to summarise it. It says, okay. are you sure you don't want me to read this? No, I'll give it a go. I've, I've edited. Okay. okay. This is what it takes to force you to edit things. <laughs> the fact that I can't speak. Yes. <laughs> a man is running through the snow and something on a cart is coming to Ankh-Morpork. In the glorious city itself, the Fool's Guild is aflame and innocent bystanders whistle around a just-missed riot as the city dwarfs start getting political. Veterinary informs Sam Vimes of the City Watch that a new low king of the dwarfs is due to be crowned in Uberwald, and the Duke Vimes of Ankh-Morpork is expected to attend as ambassador. Angua's interrupted by the scent of something. Carrot takes Vimes to the Dwarf Bread Museum to visit the famous replica Scone of Stone and learn a bit of dwarfish history. As Sybil plans and packs, Vimes is tragically prevented from helping when he hears news of a break-in. The scone's gone, and there's a sulfurous scent in the air. As Uberwaldian werewolves plot, and with Angua missing, Vimes meets Inigo, the clerk who will, who will be assisting him, and on a last visit to the yard, he learns that Wallace Sonke, the rubber manufacturer, has met a grisly end. The coaches ride out, Reg investigates Sonke and finds a smell of sulfur and sounds of a special job, and Carrot gets a note he immediately goes to Veterinary and attempts to resign before agreeing to a holiday. And with Colin left in charge and Gaspode the wonder dog in tow, he sets out to track Angua down. Colin reels at his new promotion and takes charge of the sugar lumps as the Sonki investigation turns up a scone mould and evidence shows deep down dwarves speeding away from the scene of the robbery. As Vimes travels, he claxes back and forth with the watch, getting info on Inigo and learning that the missing scone's been found. As he approaches Willinus Pass, he finds a weapon. Meanwhile, Carrot interrupts a wolf bait and interrogates ragtag misfit arsehole, learning that Angua's travelling with a pack. He sleeps in the snow and finds himself surrounded as Angua claims him. That was a very good last stand brackets part five for Gaspode, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) I love Gaspode's brave last stand. He's such a good dog. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that sweet boy. Uh, yeah, so did you find any helicopters? I'm going to go with Klax messages flying all about the place. Okay. Good helicopter equivalent. Okay. And uh, the Baron's dressing gown is doing loincloth duty for the day. Would, yeah. And also the, the lack of loincloth in uh, wolves. Wolves. Wolf it's going to be wolf, isn't it? Wolf, yeah. If, if, I, if we I just call him wolf, it's a bit too on the nose. Yeah. I'm going to apologise to the listeners now for all of the terrible accents that will happen. Yes, I was about to say I don't apologise, but actually they are going to be terrible. So yes, I do for once. Bring away, so I, re- I did my initial thing where I just read the whole book without taking any notes on the plane to Vegas. Yeah, your usual thing where you read on the plane to Vegas, yep. Yep. Well, no, the usual thing where I read the I whole know. book, but <laughs> yeah. I did it on the plane to Vegas, which meant I was having to just very quietly whisper <laughs> everything that happened with the gloomy trousers of Uncle Vanya. Ah, yes. And, Uncle uh, Vanya. Just, quietly giggled to myself to not disturb the sleeping stag do next to me oh <laughs> they were a very sweet stag do let sleeping stags lie um but other stuff we keep track of is not quite a turtle opening but it is kind of an opening on the on the disc as it yeah, were it's a it's a it's a opening on the cosmic scale yes they say that the world is flat and supported on the back of four elephants who themselves stand on the back of a giant turtle and they say that the fifth elephant came screaming and trumpeting through the atmosphere of the young world all those years ago and landed hard enough to split continents and raise mountains. They do say that. And this is the uh, the titular fifth elephant that also serves as Clatchian mist. Uh, but yeah, so we have a fifth elephant if you want to give us an irrelevant elephant. Uh, elephants, as we've talked about before, have fantastic sense of smell. Mm-hmm. Um, they can identify other elephants' urine. Um, by smell I thought this kind of tied in with the wolf theme as well which isn't like unknown amongst mammals but they can they can keep track of where their herd mates are when on the march and they like know where to expect them and so scientists have really confused elephants by taking urine from one of the elephants near the back of like a, a train of elephants like a walking train not a train with elephants on yeah and like rushing to the front and putting the urine there and then like the elephant at the front gets really confused I was like but Dave has Meant to be is meant to be near the back. What's happened here? Yeah, I quite like that. Dave. Yep, elephants get some real fun experiments. (laughs) I enjoy that. I'm starting to lose track of which ones I've talked about. I knew that one wasn't one of them, but um, I should see. This is why I need the cross referencing at the very least to to write down the track of your elephant facts. Awesome. Okay, quotes. Also, it's just occurred to me. Um, I should have done this at the top of the episode, but we're starting at the beginning. Obviously, good. (laughs) <laughs> and we're going to page 161 in the Corky paperback, ending on the line, mine, growled the wolf, it was Angua. Oh. Right, quotes. Quotes, quotes, quotes. Vines in Uberworld will be more amusing than an amorous armadillo in a bowling alley. Very good. Look, I'll get profound at some point, but an amorous armadillo in a bowling alley is one of my favourite sentences I've ever read. It is both alliterative and amusing. Yes. Mine is going back to the cosmic scale of things, actually. I just like how it was described in this bit. He knew the legend, of course. There had once been five elephants, not four, standing on the back of Great Tatooine, but one had lost its footing or been shaken loose and had drifted off into a curved orbit before eventually crashing down a billion tons of enraged pachyderm with a force that had rocked the entire world and split it up into the continents people knew today. And then slightly further on. 
In the case of the trolls, who were believed to be the first species in the world, maybe they'd been there and seen the elephant trumpeting across the sky. Gives me the same, like, oh, frisson as when I read about, like, the mass extinctions of the dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, in that cool dinosaur book I've recommended and forgotten the name of. Uh, let's talk character then. I thought we'd yes. start with our yes. boy Carrot. Oh, it's his, it's his he's come into his own. But yeah, so it's nice to see Carrot having his uh, his kind of heroic moment here. Mm-hmm. Even if his heroic moment is mostly passing out in the snow. That's a little unkind because no, I'm I, sure he had some actual heroic moments that will no, come to me and, and momentarily. Oh, the, he, the got to, no. yeah. <laughs> he got to have his very cool moment pulling the wolf out. That's it. I was just like frantically rewinding in my head, like the videotape going with carrot riding backwards across the landscape. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he did pick up the chickens. <laughs> he did get the chickens. There's, um, I haven't got the page marked out, but there's a really good description of, there's something about the way he says that's just the air leaving the body that implied he'd heard that last gasp of yeah. air leaving hundreds of bodies. It's, um, oh, we've talked before about the kind of, is he really like, as nice and simple as he looks. And I think this is the confirmation that it isn't in this book. Um, it talks, you know, it talks a lot about how that, that smile of his is just terrifying. Yeah. Uh, and I think, tell me if I'm wrong, um, that because Vimes at one point is thinking in quite clear terms about Carrot being like the obvious, uh, here it is, it seemed to Vimes that everyone knew that Carrot was the true heir to the redundant throne of the city, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think that's something that was hinted at but not said in as plain tones as that before, wasn't it? Mm. Like that Vimes believed that. I might be wrong. I think we've seen Vesinari as much as full-on acknowledge it. Ah, that's I, it, yeah. I think Vimes has been aware of it, but I don't know if we've had, like seen it acknowledged from Vimes' point of view. So there's just there's a nice like simplified version of the bigger picture of Carrot not being as sweet and happy as he seems really early on when the Fool's Guild's burning. And he oh, yeah. says, if we let it burn, it would be a blow for entertainment in this city. And Vimes is sort of thinking, that sounds innocent, but you really could hear that as quite sarcastic. Yes. Yes. I, hmm. I, you just don't know with him, do you? Like, <laughs> I like his hidden debts and I like that he's he's going out of Ankh-Morpork and doing something that's... <sighs> arguably selfish yeah i think this shows the real human side to him doesn't it because he's leaving the watch in a hell of a state and he must know that yeah he knows um, i really Colin's like his not... simple resignation the i shall not be coming back fred i am resigning Bye. Bye. yep <laughs> laters yeah and like uh and, and the little bits about like uh, when when gasford realizes there's a, a very male i don't know how to say this in human terms but he's he's really very male uh, wolf with her and he's like so we're getting on the horse now yeah. <laughs> it's quite sweet it's maybe a little bit sort of cliche-ish but it's quite sweet that it is anger that brings out that really yeah. human side where he's got more than just his duty to him i'd say that's cliche-ish for a reason though isn't it like yeah it's, yeah the whole um not a crime of passion thing but you know same like a yeah you know, acting completely out of character because of love yes <laughs> uh i also noted that he is anti-contraception and pro-clax so i'm just keeping my little carrot is a an enigma wrapped in a tall ginger body uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's against progress in some ways and uh, pro-progress in other ways yeah giving certain characters the perspectives on contraception is definitely interesting mm. 
but also like him and anger have been sleeping together for a while how anti-contraception is he she probably keeps track of things you know yeah <laughs> i would definitely be insisting that i like if you don't want to have a, as i think she said later puppies or something <laughs> like oh no anyway 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 uh, is, that, is that all our carrot for now yes let's move on to gaspard the wonder dog yay gaspard it always makes me so happy when he's in a book yeah uh the 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 displaying such moves as faithful companion watching carefully um faithful yeah. companion curled up with nose pressed against bum uh, <laughs> uh writing harassing letters to veterinary as well got a lot of respect for that coming in drool <laughs> Why would- I get how he manages to write it. How does he deliver it? Like, who is willing to take that from a dog and get it as far as veterinary's desk? Uh, somebody walking past hears a voice in the back of their head going, "Oh, look! Someone's dropped a letter off the floor. On the floor, I'll be a good citizen and put that in the post box." That could entirely Woof. be it. And how about a steak for the little doggy? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, I felt bad for the lone wolf that Gaspar tricked a bit at the end there, but I'm sure that was for the best. Well, convincing him to run away and not accept any chicken. Yes. Well, then the bit about like hearing the, the lonely howl in the background at the end made me sad. But... That was very sweet. But I'm that... sure that giving him chicken would have been a bad call because you don't want him following you, really. No. Uh, and his kind of decision of whether to try and go and unite with the wolves that seem to be surrounding or whether he's going to... <laughs> Yes. Defend his master. I love the thought of him trying. But <laughs> but yeah, so he's jumping up and down going, mine, mine. Very cute. Mm. And then we have Nobby. We do. We do. Who is uh trying out a fun new drag career. He's um he's getting more into it, isn't he? We we've had a few hints throughout the books that he's it's one of those things that could get a bit eye-rolly of her her man in a dress but I think mm. Nobby is so sweet and earnest about it yeah because he has moments of like you know uh while he's saying it he's, he's saying like well no I didn't want to assume that you would be the one yeah uh, acting as the decoy <laughs> like, he's, philo- he's really quite progressive is Nobby very progressive and I like that he's put his scent on for verisimilitude yes but left the helmet on for the traffic stops <laughs> of course but the conversation with Angle, you know what people call men who wear wigs and gowns, don't you? Yes, miss, you do. Yes, lawyers. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for that. Although that does suggest to me that uh, that zombie lawyer wears Mr. Slant, wears uh, a bonnet. We're going to rave in town, in town, in court, which makes me scared. I'm now picturing a zombie in a floral bonnet. It's amusing me. We're going to get letters from Red Shoe if we don't move on. Nothing wrong with a floral bonnet, colon. Colin, oh, he's having, a, he's having oh, a good time. Oh, dear. It's going to get better. <laughs> oh, it, it went downhill so quickly. <laughs> Less surprisingly, also quite anti-condom. Yeah, yeah. Colin's kind of small-minded Brit stand-in, I'd say. Yeah. And just completely incapable of, of handling any kind of power that isn't sergeant-based. Yep. Sergeant-based power, of course, being the new renewable. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just... Oof. I've... I've you get moments of like real empathy for him when he's talking about drowning in the paperwork. He doesn't understand, but he's just such a dick. <laughs> like just being bigoted towards the dwarves and the trolls in the room and not yep. noticing. And like, oh man. However, the accusation of earlobing is one of my favorite things about this book. Absolutely. 
Fatnari is like, he found it difficult to talk to Frederick Colon. He dealt on a daily basis with people who treated conversation as a complex game. And with Colon, he had to keep on adjusting his mind in case he overshot. <laughs> Which is interesting because like Vimes is always described as quite a simple guy, really. Um, yeah. But it's clearly three levels ahead of Sergeant Colon when it comes to just being able to read subtext or text. Uh <laughs> Poor old Colin. I'm sure Poor it'll Colin. be fine. Everything will be fine. <laughs> Speaking of vines. How did, um, sorry, how did the watch end up in this position, though? That they were two? Two? Is, uh, is Angra Sergeant by now, or is she? I don't think she's a captain. No. Carrot's the captain. Okay. So at most three, yeah. probably two officers off duty away from this happening. Yeah. That is an inc- like it's meant to be quite a well managed watch now. That doesn't sound well managed to me. If your third in command is Fred Colon, the logic might be that he's the most experienced. Yeah, but come on, it's such a dangerous job. You really and like sometimes like the- these people have been known to just hop on a boat and fuck yeah. off to clutch when something's going on. After that, someone would have put in a a chain of command that did not include Fred Colon. Surely. I, I just I just don't like to see the admin fall through the cracks like this, Joanna. Well, especially not burning the wage, Chissy. Should have made no. Red Shoe. Red Shoe should have been put in charge. Red Shoe at least is conscientious about his job. I just saw his name in the list and that was the first one that came to me. Yeah. I mean, any of the people in this list would have been better. <laughs> yes. Lance Constable Blue John, let's put him in charge. Well, he's been promoted. I did. I did like the the usual kind of um, nods towards anyone but a sergeant being useless, ap- apart from Vimes and Carrot, who are honorary sergeants. Yes. <laughs> um, but okay, yeah. So Vimes, um, who I actually I don't have a ton on for this section, to be honest. He doesn't get as much to do until we get slightly later on. Yeah, some of the class consciousness stuff is good, but I think that'll fit into when we talk about like the diplomacy and stuff. So. Um, The class consciousness specifically with Skimmer is quite good because he sort of remembers this, was mm. it too poor to paint, too proud to whitewash attitude? Yes. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting when you put it into a social setting like that. I think that fit quite well. I liked, well, no, I didn't like this. I'm confused. He was using a knife to peel an orange. Yeah. (laughs) Just, just, I wanted to put that out there. Listeners. Do you n- use a knife to peel an orange? Do you not just fucking peel it? Oh. And and to segue between Vimes and Civil, I really enjoyed the description that Civil had of Vimes, which was not a gentleman, thank goodness, but a gentleman. Oh, that is that a lovely nice. one. Yeah. It was also his sort of grumbling about, I don't. he knows I don't like being married to a duchess. Yes. <laughs> I like, no, I love being married to Civil. No, no, yes, no, don't get me wrong. Civil's great. Great gal. <laughs> <laughs> it's the duchess bit. Ah, so speaking of the duchess. Sybil, lady dutching, lady Sybil motherfucking Ramkin Vimes. Yep. I'm not sure if she did double barrel, but I'm going yeah. to double barrel yeah. her. Lady Sybil fucking Vimes brackets, nay Ramkin. It is nice having her back because she actually gets something to do in this book. Mm. There's Feet of Clay and Jingo. She was a little bit just sort of there to say yes, dear, a little bit, cook some dinners and knit a dodgy scarf. Yeah. Yeah. She gets a bit more to do. She gets to run around and be a person. And I think you get a bit more realistic uh, in a monologue from her about like how shit it must be to be married to Sam Vimes a lot of the time. 
yeah, there's a really sweet, like kind of sad moment where she's she's looking through the photo album, she's looking at the pictures from her wedding. She sort of gets a bit sad hearing about that. She's thinking about the job and she doesn't really know what he does. Yeah. She sort of hears from the laundry girls about the bloodstains. Sybil Ramkin had been brought up to be thrifty, thoughtful, genteel in an outdoor sort of way and think kindly of people. She looked at the pictures again in the silence of the house. Then she blew her nose loudly and went off to do the packing and other sensible things. Yeah. I thought that was a really, really sweet, sad moment. It was. I think, yeah, it was really, yeah. I'm glad he put that in because I was thinking in some of the other books, like, fuck, she's so patient about that. Yeah. Especially when he just fucks off to clutch. Yeah, just randomly. I think we did mention it, didn't we? It was like, yeah. come on, Vimes, send a note. Must have, yeah. <laughs> like, send a runner. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, we're getting the whole trope from a sitcom. I hate, but I don't mind it so much because it's just a line every now and then in this one where she's about to say something, but someone comes in the door. She's talking about she's been to see Mrs. Content. And yes. I wonder what that could We've already yeah, revealed what that will be. I do like there's sometimes where sort of Vimes talks about her and things that in other books or with other relationships in these books, I could be annoyed by as finding sexist, but because it's Vimes and Sybil, I just think it's quite sweet. It's as they're getting ready to leave and he says, oh, Sybil's just regrouting the bathroom, learning ancient Clatchian and doing all those other little last minute things women always do. I would be offended if it weren't me. Yeah, no, I mean, I also <laughs> found it really relatable. Sorry, I'm late for work. Today I was learning ancient Clatchian. You were what? Traffic. Uh, it was traffic, traffic. <laughs> there's also uh this has one of those lines i forget it's from this book which is couples are always made up of two people who are prepared to swear that it's only the other one that snores yeah, that's one of the much quoted ones isn't it for a reason oh yes cherry shiri oh shiri? She, how's she saying it shiri 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 little bottom shiri little bottom she's back she's got- back she's wearing a kind of a skirt Look at us with multiple female characters having agency. Oh, have they talked what to each other this? yet? About something no. That's not, no. <laughs> Look, we have the witches' books for passing the Bechdel test, Francine. What I more think, do you I want? think we pass it later. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, to be fair, there's enough dwarfs in this book that we probably have passed the Bechdel test. We just don't oh, know. Oh, no, that's an easy out. <laughs> <laughs> you can't prove I didn't pass it. Uh but yes, it brings me joy to Cherry Cherie is but we getting definitely to do pass it later on. Yes. No, yes. I remember the scene. Yes. Uh but yeah, she's she's slowly working towards liberation. She's got the skirt, more and more women are and coming out. Hmm. And she seems very happy and confident in her skin, which I really like. Yeah, she's less nervous than I would be, certainly, about going back to the old country. Like she's obviously nervous, but not. Obviously, listeners yeah. expect many, many more feelings and thoughts about gender as we get through the book. Yeah, that's, this is a, a part two bookmark, was it? Yeah, there's a part two or part three bookmark. We're warming yeah. up to me talking about gender a lot because, you know, for someone who doesn't like it, I do talk about it a lot. Well, you recognise um, other people's enjoyment of it. <laughs> yes. Um, and then Inigo. Inigo's given. And the orange test. The orange test. <laughs> <laughs> what a test it's not explained in this part is it but it's explained in the next part and it's um, explained like near the beginning of the next part i think because i couldn't remember exactly how the orange test worked i think it's something to do with the fact that he didn't catch it or flinch 
Yes, he saw it, he recognised it as not a threat and didn't bother ducking or flinching. Yes. But Skimmer took a step backwards, mildly appalled at the upper class's habit of fruit hurling. I like, like that implies Vimes uses this as a test, but actually all the upper classes just randomly throw fruit <laughs> at works. Uh, oh, 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 hey, Joanna. What? Knock, knock. Who's there? Orange. Orangey. Orangey, glad I'm not an assassin. Yes, Francine. <laughs> I'm very glad you're not an assassin. I don't know. He's got a knife. He does. He's got a knife and a briefcase. His briefcase has a knife. Call that a knife. That's not a knife. That's, That's a briefcase. A <laughs> but yeah, um, he will again feature more heavily in the next one. He's got some fairly unflattering descriptions of him, bless him. Yeah, poor thing. His overlarge head gave him the appearance of a lolly nearing the last suck. <laughs> so mean. Carrying his bowler hat the way a soldier carries a helmet is quite sweet, though. He's another one that also feels like there's another character we'll meet in a later watch book that feels like a kind of redo of him. Yes. And then, Reg, our darling. Our darling Reg. He only gets one little moment, but I just, I love, he introduced himself, Reg Shoe Homicide, and they're like, oh, you hear about the murder? It was like, no, actually, I'm a zombie. I just wanted to explain. Um, but also, coincidentally, yes, we are here about the murder. murder. <laughs> As you mention it, um, I did like his patience with the questioning. I feel like he'd make a good computer programmer, just wording yeah. things until they are unambiguous. And partnered by uh, Buggy Swires, uh, who, the just is short and violent. Scottish and angry, <laughs> which we've now met the Nack MacFiegel, but there still appears to be a difference between gnomes and Nack MacFiegel. They're just both very short and very Scottish and angry. Yeah. And the similar jokes are that, oh, we got stood on. Is he all right? Oh, yeah. Well, he'll be out of hospital soon, but Buggy Swires is. <laughs> and there's the, the joke about, you know, those big boys are bloody good value for a penny. There's no way he was going to ask. Oh, I use it as a Macintosh. Hey, hey. knowing those... exactly what he's saying. Oh, we haven't got him in here, have we? But um, Constable uh, vis- Visit. I just oh, wanted yeah. to mention briefly because the the sweet bit with the pigeons, I just, I, I liked. Um, he's preaching to the p- pigeons. Yeah. Ah, Zebedina, he said, lifting her up and removing the message capsule. Well done. This is from Constable Shu. You shall have some corn provided locally by a desire for and some seed merchants, but ultimately by the grace of Om. <laughs> uh, very St. Francis, very... Uh, yes. Just, I, I don't know. I'm glad he's found his niche. I'm sure there was like a... He's been pigeonholed and he likes it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I'm sure there was like a very specific St. Francis preaching to birds parable. I'm sure you're correct, but I don't know what it is. No, fuck no. Um, and then, oh yeah, so Lance Constable Blue John... Mm. The only reason I actually put him in is his name, because uh, obviously all the trolls are named after different types of rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought the fact that Blue John was interested was one of the kinds is quite interesting because Blue John is um, is only mined in like one kind of mile stretch in the Peak District. Oh, it's like the only place you can find it. You told you told me it was a type of rock. I didn't. I don't think you've told me that bit before. Yeah. So there's um, there's two mines now but they're both in that's in that place because mm. one of them's also a show cave so i went and had a look through the caves ages ago which is the only reason i recognized it blue john cavern um i've linked to a thing about the mineral it's very pretty, oh, it's pretty yeah huh. um but i thought it's just such, such a rare thing found in such a small place i mean obviously peak district that it was interesting it was used as a name yeah i enjoyed that so it's kind of he's like purplish blue yellowish yeah um, that's really cool. Also known as Derbyshire Spa. Ah, of course. Very nice. And I feel, like there's, 
Arthur Conan Doyle had like a Sherlock Holmes story that was something to do with it as well. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. He did. He did a lot of those stories, Joanna. <laughs> he did do a lot of those stories. I'm not going to go and find that one for you. Uh, and then another one I mentioned just for the name is Constable Ping. Yes. Who immediately clarifies it's a dialect word meaning water meadow. Yes. Annotated Pratchett says, according to Terry, Ping is in fact a Cornish dialect word meaning water meadow. I tried to do some Googling to find a source outside of Terry Pratchett and the forums and didn't find it. I found a couple of other like older PDF things. If you go, you've got to like go through a few pages on Google, which obviously I very rarely get off the first page of Google. (laughs) I did find this Wikipedia list that I've linked, which is just a list of Cornish dialect words. I love Wikipedia lists. Did you did I send you the list of lists of missing people? Yes, you did. Fuck yes. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna read out a couple of random Cornish oh, yeah. dialect words because it's fun. Uh, Calamagina uh, is a thornback. Um, I don't know what a thornback is. No, I don't know. I just read that one out because I like the word. Ah. Oh, a ray. It is a ray. It's a stingray. Ah, cliggy, sticky or muddy. Cool. Cool. Smuts for soot. Scat is to hit or break. Uh, Wasson, what's going on? Uh, Withy Garden is specifically an area of coppiced willows cultivated by fishermen for pot making. Very nice. Uh, You do need a specific word for that in certain parts of the world. I guess you would. Yeah. So yeah, I'll uh, link to that. Everyone go and learn some Cornish dialect words. I did also start going down the rabbit hole of the difference between Cornish dialect and the Cornish language. A lot of the Cornish dialect words come from the Cornish language, but Cornish dialect words are things that are still in use in Cornwall today. The Cornish language as a language isn't really spoken anymore, Mm. Um, but there's enough recorded of it to be aware of it as a language. Um, But it's quite sad that it's died out. And I think is used as a cautionary tale by like uh, Irish and Welsh speakers as a, this is why we need to keep speaking Gaelic and uh, Welsh. It's uh, yeah. I think Cornish was probably one of the last like holdouts of regional languages in England specifically. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then Vestinaria wanted to kind of shout out. He was talking about when he used to travel in Uberwald and apparently knew this lady um, Listeners was, can't see my eyebrows, but they are wiggling. In those days, rich young men from Mount Moorpork used to go on what we called the Grand Sneer, yeah. visiting far-flung countries in order to see at first hand how inferior they were. Referencing, of course, the Grand Tour that uh, upper-class chaps used to go on. Uh, and which is now referred to as a Gapya and Ninja. <laughs> Gapya. <laughs> yes. How language evolves. <laughs> but yes, that was a nice little joke that brought me joy. I noticed he put in an even less featured character. Oh, I just wanted to acknowledge the Aggie Hammer Thief thing. I like that there's a specific name for it in like the dwarf culture. Yeah, yeah. I think we come to him later again, don't we? But the uh, yes. yeah, the mischief spirit. I do like that's great. Uh, and there's it's Vimes equivalence references it as similar to Sweet Fanny Adams, which we yes. won't go into the history of that again because again. Horrific. Oh, that was really depressing, wasn't it? Yeah, sorry yeah. about that. Lessons. <laughs> well, no, I looked I looked it up again because I forgot we'd done it already until yeah. I read it. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is sad. Let's not do that. Uh, <laughs> and then historical figure, we've got uh, Brian Bloodaxe. Oh, that's a reference to something, isn't it? I forgot it what. It is. Uh, thank you, Annotated Pratchett. Thank you, Joanna. Uh, so Brian Bloodaxe within the Discworld was crowned on the Scone of Stone. Many years ago. I should probably be saying scone of stone, but I'm not going to. Oh, you're being snobby about it. Uh, it's not snobby. 
even at an expense of a rhyme. I feel like a bit of a, I feel snobby when I say scone. I don't know. Um, no, this is going to start an argument. All right. Not unlike our cream, potted cream one. But I, I had, I have definitely heard that scone is the, is that the posh, posh way one? of saying it? That's how the queen would say it. It's gone. Yeah. You know. uh, but however, I think stereotypically posh southerners are scone. But uh, then I've definitely heard other people say scone. I think it might be one of those like every other town switches over like the name for a bread roll. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm going to say scone of stone because it rhymes and nobody's got time for stumbling over it every time. Yeah, that's fair. You just slam your shin on it if nothing else. All right, Brian Bloodaxe. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so the two things. So you have Brian Boru, who was the most famous of the Irish High Kings. Um, obviously, Low Kings being the dwarfish equivalent. But Brian Bloodaxe uh, was the name of a platforms and ladders style computer game for the Sinclair, oh. Sinclair Spectrum, Commodore 64, Amstrad CPC, mid 1980s. So I'm going to assume. Back on retro video games. <laughs> I'm going to assume that's what was being referenced there. Very nice, a rare double reference that spans many centuries. Yeah. Also, I like that we've just got a random apostrophe back in. We haven't had a fantasy name with a random apostrophe for a while. Oh, yeah. We do like our apostrophes. Uh, And we have Lady Margolotta. Speaking of things that span many centuries, we do. And at least four pages of the Gothic equivalent of the Twerps period, whatever that's called. Yeah, I'm an actor Gothic. Gothic. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan. (laughs) Of the Almanac to Gothic, love yes, it. Yeah, yeah, it's a good read, read. it before bed every night. <laughs> Those vampire names, gosh. Um, so it's quite interesting that we've just had the book that focuses on vampires. That we've yeah. now got her as kind of a side character. That's a fairly involved side character in this one. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, she's a a kind I'm of a sane like... meddler. Yeah, she's. She's more modern than like the old count from the last book who yeah. was comparatively a good guy. Yeah. But she is not a dickhead like the modern vampires of Carpe Jaculum. Yeah. Um, and of course she she taught Vetinari a lot of what he knows. So she's got a she's clearly a, a, a mind of uh oof, think of a good metaphor for me, Joanna. Steel. Mind of steel. Um, uh, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> a tricksy one, you know. Twist and turn, like, like a, a twisty, turny thing. Yeah, yeah, we got there. <laughs> she could think her way backwards through a corkscrew. There we go. Thank you, Joanna. There we go. And then places. <laughs> we'll do people, places, and then we'll do things. <laughs> Bonk. Bionk. Sorry. Bonk. Yes, and they have. There's a... only so many syllables in the world, sir. <laughs> More book sounds like a particular piece of ladies' underwear. No. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm now trying to find my bloody pages Would you like to wildly speculate about which piece of underwear? I'm going to go with a garter Oh yeah, nice, I like that I'm going to start calling my garters Darling, your moorpork's fallen down Goodness, my moorpork <laughs> uh, But bunk is where they're headed to be diplomats, right? That's where they're headed to be diplomats. It's within Uberworld, and you get kind of a nice description of uh, like the country structure. Mm. It's what you get before you get country. It's just fortified towns and fiefdoms with bound, not, no real boundaries and lots of forests. And yeah. Yeah. they've kind of just got a bit mushed together, which sounds like some of the horrible colonial shit that England did to the rest of the world. Oh, I mean, yes, it does. But my mind immediately went to like what the Balkans look like. 
oh, a few yeah, hundred no. years ago. Um, just because do you remember a couple episodes ago? I can't remember for why we were reading about uh, like the all the borders up there. And as soon as you go back past a hundred years of history, I have no idea what the fuck's going on. Oh, that's because we were talking about the vampires and. Uh... <sighs> Yeah. I did what I wanted to do for this episode was actually um, have the full Discworld map up behind me so we could kind of look at where they're traveling and what they're doing. And then I couldn't be bothered to hang it up. We'll try and remember next time. But so, way back in, like, I think it was probably Color of Magic, like when we were first, it may have been the first time we recorded the Color of Magic and then we deleted that episode because it was awful and redid it. But definitely at one point, one we did day, it. one day, I'm going to see if I can salvage any of that because I expect it's quite amusing. <laughs> We did attempt to have, like, I've got a copy of the big map of Discworld from the Discworld Atlas. Oh, we God, tried to have yeah. that hanging up with post-its on it. We were trying to track Rincewind's mm. journey. And yeah. it's quite interesting to see, because that early on, a lot of the places that mentioned kind of don't come up again. And, and they just switched the name of something around. And yeah, there's no like clear sense of geography, whereas now there is a really clear yeah. sense of geography. It's interesting to see how yeah. it's changed and where they're going. Yeah. All right, we'll try. We'll try and remember for next week. We'll attempt it. I'll cover it in string and post it so I look properly insane. Yeah. If nothing else, if, if we fail to do it again, what we can do is like draw our own silly little map and that would be fun. Yes. And try very hard not to get on the wrong side of copyright law. Well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> but sorry. It's fine if you're not profiting, right? Right? Yeah. Why not? Um, Le- Uberworld in general then, yeah, is will talk about that a bit more later but just i like hearing the kind of political side of it rather than just the horror hammer horror trope side of it it's quite cool just yeah and this is a place not just a collection of fleshed out and built (laughs) yeah Um, whose flesh (gasps) dun 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 dun. (laughs) oh speaking of that igor we forgot to mention igor's having a little bit of um world building around them as well was quite cool i like that Pratchett's kind of found this idea and is sticking with it. They're all called Eagle now. Yes, all Eagles <laughs> are Eagle. Uh, so Lady Margolotta has an Eagle. Mm-hmm. He seems like a lovely Eagle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, they within Eberwald, Eberwald, Uberwald, the only Uberwald. little sub-location I fancied mentioning on this one was the Werewolf Manor, just because yes. I really liked just the little the little fun bit where he's like. Uh, this one has chairs, but they don't look very lived in. There's a huge sofa that is ragged with use. Um, that that's white earthenware bowls around the table and all of that. And it's like, oh, that's a really fun exercise. Like, sit down, imagine a manor house that X species would live in. Like, yeah. and he's yeah, I like to imagine he had fun with that. That's a really nice concept. And yeah, yeah. we'll talk more about the Baron and Seraphine yeah. and getting definite Wolfgang. white supremacist vibes from Wolfgang. That's all I'm saying right now. Yeah, and anyone mentions purity while doing. Press ups, you know, that's a wrong that, That's a bit of an answer, isn't it? It's a very specific red flag, but I stand by it. <laughs> How often do you see people mentioning purity while doing push ups? Oh, that's why I stopped going to the gym. No, that's that's slander. No, um, yes. All the fascists at the gym. <laughs> oh, no. No, our local gym is fine. And uh, I, I do like the idea of having a kind of fun. Um, etiquette rule of changing back into a human before you come in the house dear yes <laughs> and the nice moment of it's not explaining exactly what but don't do that at the table well yes i think we know exactly what <laughs> <laughs> readjusting his clothes um anyway yeah little bits we liked 
what, what did what did we like, Joanna? What, what did we like? Enjoyed uh, the uh, ox trains. You like the ox trains. I like the ox trains. A, a couple of the ones you put in as little bits you liked would have been mine, but you got your notes in the uh, plan first. <laughs> For once, <laughs> yeah. I just uh, the the kind of zooming in, I guess, from the cosmic scale stuff. But I I like how Bradgett sets the scene with the kind of padding, uh, the, the the ox train stretching across the landscape, and and like communicating in heliographs with like his uh mirrors i guess flashing. Yeah. oh that could have been an obscure reference for neil but yeah. flashing and communicating with each other and and like uh, it, it's all just very cool just the, the whole scale of it across across the landscapes that you're slowly getting to know and unfurling like a time machine and mm, i just liked yeah. that whole bit right at the beginning i really love it. it was nearly my quote they turned the landscape into an unrolled time machine on a clear day you could see last tuesday ah there we go yes very that good. was one of my favorite moments yeah ah anyway i don't have much to say about that apart from like it's it. a very enjoyable bit liked of writing it. now i realize i should have looked more into heliographs <laughs> geography we're talking about landscape as a crime as a crime he wasn't strictly aware of it, he being blind. But he treated even geography as if he was investigating a crime. Brackets. Did you see who carved out the valley? Would you recognise that glacier if you saw it again? <laughs> <laughs> Which I enjoyed very much. Uh, horseshoe lakes, I've always thought, were very suspicious. Oxbow lakes, don't Oxbow, trust them. thank you. Sorry. Fuck. <laughs> horseshoe lakes. Um, I mean, it's similar, right? It's like a sure. horseshoe. It's a horseshoe shape. Isn't it? Yeah, no. Isn't it? I, I'm you sound really sceptical. It's just Sorry. my face. Oxbow Lake. Yeah, it's like a U-shape. Okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. And I, why didn't I get that when I just talked about oxes? Who knows? We'll never know. I'm just not very good at things. But um, yeah, geography is a crime. I think geologists would probably enjoy that as well because the detectoring of the... <laughs> and here is where the volcano erupted. The millimetre of ash tells us. Yeah, um, yeah. Geologists are kind of like geology, I suppose, isn't it? Or geography, but yeah, yeah. But they're kind of like detectives. Hmm. And Why then, have I got so many in a row? Because <laughs> I just shoved, because I just shoved mine after yours. Uh, the Enigma Machine, though, that was the Leonard. I didn't put Leonard in characters because there wasn't much to say that we wouldn't talk about here. Yeah, uh, it's lovely to see Leonard again with his machines Sweet of mass destructions doodled in amongst everything else but the enigma machine i thought was or i'm sorry the uh, engine for the neutralizing of information by the generation of miasmic alphabets enigma um <laughs> which doesn't exactly roll off the tongue it, the the kind of rotor cipher thing i find very interesting i think it was a few episodes ago i mentioned that i found a whole like rabbit hole of cri cryptography that i didn't go down and still yeah. you'll be pleased to hear the description of the Enigma machine that Leonard has built was quite cool. Uh, the a number of the wheels were not round but oval or heart shaped and some other curious curve. When Leonard turned to handle, the whole thing moved with a complex oiliness, quite disquieting and something merely mechanical. It's there's something ominous about it that I like. Yeah, but um, a rotor-based cipher machine, which is what the Enigma devices were. Um, mm. Enigma's more like a brand than a machine. Yeah. Um, is kind of you type in a letter. I looked up how it works. I didn't really know. You type in a letter, and a rotor takes that letter and outputs it as a different letter, mm -hmm. um, and then it passes through all the rotors, bounces off like a reflector at the end, and kind of passes back through in the other direction. Um, and that would make on its own like quite uh, uh, easy to decipher. Cipher. 
Um, <laughs> but before or after encrypting each letter, um, the rotor's advanced positions, which changes the substitution. Um, and uh, that kind of mechanization of it made much more complex uh, polyalphabetic ciphers was a nice phrase yeah. I liked, possible. Um, and then from The Guardian, it explained it much better than I did, which was uh, when the first rotor has turned around turn through all 26 positions, the second rotor clicks around, when that's made around all the way, it's there just the same, leading to more than 17,000 different combinations before the encryption process repeats itself. Nice. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, and obviously as the war, Second World War progressed, the Enigma's got more complex, but so did the code breaking, and there's lots and lots of stories behind that that we won't go into because... Yes. <laughs> maybe I'll bring it up when we talk about diplomacy. I like that he's also invented the very fast coffee machine. Yes. How, what would you call that? <laughs> it's, it's almost like it's like espress coffee, isn't it? Espress. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's how I'd say that. <laughs> Express. <laughs> I liked the veterinaries ducking behind the, the kind of moment of deduction and the duck. Yeah. <laughs> ah, we appear to have achieved coffee. <laughs> Which is something uh, I think I'll probably start saying to myself most mornings and having a little chuckle. Yeah, Leonard also, I think we touched on this in Jingo, but invents a weapon of mass destruction. And then says, but of course, such a thing would make war impossible. <laughs> well, he tried. Yeah. Um, See, that reminds me of something I'm going to talk oh, about later. I'm just going to put a pin in that there. Put a pin in mass destruction. Yes. Terrible pin in idea. Mass destruction. Um, <laughs> Shit. What makes a dwarf a dwarf, Joanna? This is this could have easily been like a massive talking point where I went into a lot of things about uh, culture versus religion versus blah, blah, blah. Diaspora. Um, diaspora. And I realised that I am not functioning enough today to talk about that intelligently, but I did want to at least put a pin in it here to talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this conversation between Carrot and Vimes of Carrot explaining, no, I am absolutely a dwarf. I can do the right of Kazakra. I know the secrets of Haragna. I can hulk my Garaka correctly. I think he did a better job pronouncing that than Vimes did, and that's what matters. <laughs> I've got a bit of a sore throat, which kind of helps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> but this idea of this cultural diaspora and then trying to find a way to really identify with where you come from and who you are as a dwarf in Ankh-Morpork, which I meant to mention in locations, but it is now the biggest dwarf city outside of Uberwald. Yeah, I, I always enjoy when when it's brought up that London's one of the top five French cities. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the the there's a bit about uh, back home, he thought. Carrot had innocently talked about dwarves back home. Tall dwarves far away, the mountains were back home, whether they were born there or not. And there's a lot of that um, when you read colonialist nonsense which isn't the same but um stuff from like generations of europeans who colonized australia or america or write yeah. about home as a place they'd never been um Absolutely. like there's the ties last a long time and i'm sure it, it's the case with uh more traditional more traditional with diaspora for communities rather than yeah in, um imperialist ones i'm just not as familiar no but very cool very nice and I agree, we should talk about that on a day where we're not stumbling over basic sentences. <laughs> and then the other thing I liked was one that you could maybe look at it as sexist skin as well. If, again, it isn't something that I know I definitely do, mm. which was uh, Vimes parallel processing, learning to follow their own line of thought while at the same time listening to what their wives say. 
a vital additional skill is being able to scan for the dialogue for telltale phrases. I think such it, as, oh, sorry. So I've invited them for dinner or they can do it in blue really quite cheaply. It's a great observation. Both of us do do that. Yep. It's possibly a bit like boomer humor saying it's all about wives instead of just whatever, yeah. but like whatever. <laughs> it's not something I, I have the energy to get on my high horse about. And yeah. I found it very funny, especially when, because Sybil is very aware of it, knows yeah. that he's operating an autopilot and is sort of, as well, she's impressed. He's managed to, you know, make a contribution despite yeah. that. And then doing the, uh, do you think she'd take the alligator with us and seeing if she could catch him? Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh god, I'm fast, right? Bigger talking points. Yes, I did. Ha, I did it to you. I just tacked mine on the end. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about world building and specifically about the world changing and developing. Okay, good luck. And I'm gonna take a very big <laughs> sip of my tea first. <laughs> that wasn't again, listeners who can't see Joanna's face, that wasn't like a good luck. I don't believe she can do it, but a good luck because she looked very afraid as she said it. <laughs> Right, so my general overarching point before I start pulling examples out of the book, something that kind of bugs me a bit in like, mm. not even bugs me like it will put me off a book, but it's something I definitely notice in like classic fantasy, high mm. fantasy. So like your Tolkien, but also like your, your Game of Thrones and Robin Hobb is you have these amazing societies that have existed for millennia. Like they have history that goes back millennia and no science or technology has ever really fucking developed yeah. these fantasy worlds are often stagnant until the present point in which a book is written because then there is a hero coming to affect change and even then that change rarely mm. has big effects on things like technology or science developing unless yeah. it's intrinsically and- tied to that world's magic yeah and i mean like something like tolkien it's even less isn't it because the, the point is to to try and stop the big change that someone else is trying to make yeah. Yeah. And if you think about Tolkien, like the so the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, that's the third age, isn't it? Could be. <laughs> I'm gonna like I'm put me on the spot, Joanna. <laughs> Listeners, we're not Tolkien scholars. Uh, and then you have the second age, which lasts for years. Despite our many that. essays. <laughs> and you have these gods and gods like creatures that have existed for millions of years, and no at no point in that someone come up with a better form of communication than a fucking bird these so you have these stagnant like the fantasy worlds. <laughs> yes we'll communicate with big torch big torch mm-hmm. uh so you have a history that sets up in the present but no development or change in technology travel medicine and it's usually hand away hand waved away with well but there's magic instead and it doesn't explain why no one's come up with a more efficient way to communicate than pigeons or yeah. a more efficient way to travel the um, TV tropes calls it medieval stasis. Yes. Which I like as a, yeah. Um, and agree. Yeah. It, it does sometimes make you go, come on. Like, uh, I, I think it was the Robin Hobb books I was reading where I did hit a point of like, like, if it's been that long, you must have had a fucking industrial revolution by now. And to be fair, I do think that I've seen Robin Hobb address this somewhere and I couldn't find the quote, but I remember there being a tweet or something. I wonder if uh, my guess would be a justification for that would be that the classes that are more powerful are the ones that can do magic and it'd be in their best interest not to allow the rest of the world to do sufficiently advanced science. Yes. Um, But it's things like 
yeah. medicine unless it's healing magic never developing mm. um yeah. yeah it's all willow bark it's very willow bark and humors yeah <laughs> the name of my third album <laughs> I thought you were going to say sex tape, but I was. <laughs> no, that's humours and willow bark. Sorry, um, but yeah. So this is the joy of the Discord books, especially getting to like this point in Discord. I think this is the book where you really start to see it, is you yeah. see like growth and change and new technologies and how these tools affect the disc on like a micro and a macro scale. Yeah. And it's particularly impressive because Pratchett has kind of excused the medieval stasis before by saying that veterinary keeps it that way because he doesn't want to see this after all the other technology yeah and you can see him here yeah decide that actually no we're moving on now and you get the kind of uh the what happens when thing happens books and sometimes those technologies stick around yes i know it's speculative fiction no no i love it more i like i like it more this way i'm smiling because i'm pleased that the bit stuck (laughs) and you get some things where something new comes and sticks around and some things where it really doesn't like obviously soul music the rock music was never going to last in yeah uh, but generally stuff- if it's like a magical intrusion in the world it goes away doesn't it like the movies and the yeah yeah um but this you have new things coming and sticking mm-hmm. around you have the semaphore um the being semaphore. one of the biggest drivers of change because it's being used to communicate across very far distances clack 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 you've got fred doing his little semaphore to get people over from the closest watchtower so it starts off in the book as a bit of a joke because he could have just blown his whistle mm, yeah um, but then later on you see it properly you know Vimes communicating back to the watch while he's travelling the fact that last week they managed to have get a clax message that someone was running away to rank Morpork and caught him as soon as he got into the city yeah and trying to justify the clax messages in hot pursuit yes yeah and, and yeah just brilliantly like concisely bringing up some of the issues that come with that kind of uh, small world becoming the, the, a the shrinking of the world you know yeah 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 um because you then have to think about how it affects the law yeah. because it's yeah. not like there's only one big global law no that would work very badly especially no. as it's not a globe well yeah trying to do anything global on the disc is awkward <laughs> the turtle does in fact edge. move that's the problem yes that's the thing joanna um yeah the 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 thing about the clacks I, lo- I love because it, it talks about um, the, the impacts that you are going to see on a, fuck, I was about to say global disco level. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, it took many months for a ship to round Cape Terror. How much exactly would a trader pay to know within a day when it had arrived? And that obviously was a huge thing when the, when the Telegraph came into yeah. being, um, which was, our, like, I know there were, round world equivalents of the clacks that were technologically more in tune but in terms of how much it affected the world i mean the telegraph was our equivalent yeah that was the bigger kind of global communication thing yeah um oh i found on the forums by the way there's a book apparently by a chap called tom standage which compared the telegraph and victorian period with the internet now which is 90s um, yeah which um terry pratchett apparently com- totally accidentally drew a lot of parallels with and they came out at very similar times the two books and Pratchett read it yeah Pratchett read the book later and then said well I'd recommend it to everybody uh but just just so you know didn't read this before I wrote this yeah (laughs) so yeah I'll I'll link to that in the in the notes um 
And it's even just the big roads developing as well. Like you're saying, you yeah, know, the yeah. big road heading up towards Genua has made a yeah. huge difference because now more people are coming to Wentworthport because they can get there. Yeah. And the fact that nobody attacks the mail coaches anymore. No. Which is, um, again, an- another big thing you read about when when you see any part of the world developing in parts of history. It's uh, And the mail is respected. We'll come back to that one day, I'm sure. But uh, uh, Quite possibly. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the line I really liked about the facts was um, mm. there was a line across the map, the progress of the semaphore towers. It was, math- it was mathematically straight, a statement of intellect in the crowding darkness of miles and miles of bloody Uberfall. <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't know if you found, I, in my head, and I don't know if it's just because I'm so familiar with Pratchett that it seeped in, if you know what I mean, like the miles and miles of bloody Uberfall being a cartographer's joke, I feel like maybe has a parallel but I can't think of it I feel like I don't know enough about cartography but I feel like there's probably some silly jokes about like yeah. forests and areas that don't have anything to mark yeah but it, it, yeah again similarly it might it might just be practice and it's a joke I like so much it's stuck in my head forever um but, but yeah. yeah that was my main point is just I very much enjoy in this book yeah. uh seeing a fantasy world that's not stagnant yeah. And like they even include some of the little technologies that pop up and won't pop up again, similarly to how they do on round worlds, like the little pneumatic tubes. I don't know how long that lasts on disc world, but here um, the pneumatic tube communication stuff was like big in the 50s. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if any, I'm sure some places still use it, but it's not so much anymore. But for a while, it was one of those exciting new technologies that uh, businesses tried to shoehorn into everything. It was one that ended up in Futurama as well. That mm. was kind of like, a, which is almost like a retro futurism yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, Futurama. Considering it started in like the early two thousand, it started in the year two thousand. Mm. It does feel like retro futurism now. Yeah, and also like stuff like the pneumatic cheese. Actually, now you say it, and some other bits like feel like they were definitely taken from retro futurism, even at the time. Yeah, like which some makes sense because really obviously the it. yeah the writer's obviously very much into sci-fi, so that does make sense. Yeah. <laughs> now I want to rewatch it all, so that's good. Anyway, yeah. So that was that was my point. I really enjoyed that about this book. Yeah, and uh, so it's setting up to learn more about the clacks later. I think, like Quite he's possibly. making a big deal of them. <laughs> Maybe uh, the, the the kind of scene where Vetnar is like watching the clacks go clack. They're like, is he reading them? <laughs> if anyone could. I want to also be clear now that I don't 100% understand how things like semaphore and the clacks in the books works. And I'm okay with that. I think that's that's fine, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so so my talking point is pretty short mm-hmm. and varied. It's just some round world parallels that I would like to revisit next week. Uh, yeah. But I'll get a few fun bits in now. Um, so let's start with the obvious, the sonkies. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the... Rubber Johnny, as they are known here, as I <laughs> was reminded of last month. Um, <laughs> I thought I'd look into it because here it was called a rubber Wally. Somebody said it, and it's because it was Wallace Sonky. And I was yeah. like, surely, like, jo- condoms weren't invented by Johnny, were they? But no, apparently it's from John Thomas, obviously, ah, yes. which means penis, uh, which is from Lady Lady Chatterley's lover, which I didn't know. No, I didn't know John that. Thomas, no, there you go. Um, apparently, condoms are indeed useful for a range of things other than prophylactic, um, as part of prep for D-Day landings 
allies collected samples of soil and sand in condoms to find out like the state of the drone. That's quite interesting. Which just kind of sets the scene for they are generally quite good waterproof carrying devices. That's the point yes. there. Um, they could also, if you cut them up, keep bandages dry on the battlefield, that kind of thing. They can be used as waterproof socks in a pinch if uh, you tr- if you have to walk through floodwaters, for instance. No. Um, in India, they're used in roads as part of waterproofing. They're like right. cut up and apparently in India, only about 25% of condoms are used as condoms. Right. Uh, they're used for so many other things. Yeah. This is a no such thing as fish reeling yeah. off wax here. Um, they can be used to polish leather and polish silk. Um, in South Africa, apparently, they're rubbed on arthritic joints to ease pain. Right. Yeah. Okay. And finally, the relevant bit facts about condoms, I thought, uh, going back to Swire's using it as a match. Yeah. Uh, the French slang for condoms is capote anglaise, which literally translated means English raincoat. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, wait, hang on. But also because the French call the English le roast beef, it's a roast beef raincoat. Oh, oh no. Isn't that unfortunate? Um, somebody on one of the one of the annotation sites that I remember now, um, said that Tonki was slang for condom as well, which I can only find in a 2006 entry into Urban Dictionary. And yeah. I feel like that's too far after this fact to be conclusive. Yeah. Uh, but never, we, we, we maybe won't look into that further. Now I start saying we will. Uh- <laughs> I did look up how condoms are made because I don't know anything about like making things with rubber or latex. And mm. I wanted to know if they really are dipped. And there is like a dippy thing, and they are. Oh. And I found a video of how condoms are made uh, that I have linked to in the show notes because I found it quite interesting. What does the dippy thing look like? It it looks like an inside-out condom. Ah, but like, yeah, like it's not really penis-shaped, but you know what I mean. It's yeah. like it's got like the bulb thing. Yeah. or yeah. <laughs> These were. This is great. So it's like in a american sexual health organization or something that have done this video uh but the um the guy narrating it mentions that they're making like ribbed ones and he says something like these aren't your grandfather's condoms golly (laughs) way to try and make it relatable and make it much worse weirdest fucking brag i've ever seen in a instructional video <laughs> yeah you just made it so uncomfortable like dude <laughs> the bit about uh women working in the factories i found interesting and i meant to look into further and didn't but i um, i didn't look at like historical condom yeah, making no, to be neither. fair <laughs> me neither i feel like i should have done now but never mind maybe later the uh the whole thing about it smelling like cat's piss i seem as rubber specific rather than modern day latexy business yeah but... <laughs> it's that sulfury smell yeah um some other parallels i quite like while we're at it and these are the ones i'm going to revisit uh, as mm-hmm. they become more relevant in the story but i thought because the scone of stone you'll see why i get this mixed up so much uh was stolen in this one i talk about the time the stone of scone was stolen on round world um, yeah. and we'll talk about more about its like relevance and things next week i think but um yeah in 1950 the scope Stone, the stone of scone. I've written it backwards. I was, I was reading it correctly. I've written it down backwards. God damn it! The scone of stone, stone of scone. Oh no! Uh, Upon which were crowned Scottish monarchs, 
of old was taken from Perth in 1296 by Edward I. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fitted underneath the throne at Westminster Abbey. Yeah. So like the throne is on the scone yeah. of stone. Um, and so from then English and later on British monarchs were crowned on it. Yeah. Uh, which obviously is a bit of a sore point for some Scottish nationalists, as you can imagine. In December 1950, four students from the University of Glasgow staged a heist. They were funded by a Glasgow businessman and they drove to London in two Ford Anglias, which I thought was a sweet detail. Mm. Uh, and after a couple of false starts, uh, learning the watchman's uh, like schedules and all that stuff, it's very heisty, um, succeeded in removing the stone on Christmas Day. Unfortunately, it did break in two in the process. Uh, they nevertheless made off with the pieces, invade, evading police. At one point, two of them uh, like got into a false clinch in a car to just throw one of them off. It's so trophy. <laughs> like the story How is very cliche. How has someone ever made a movie of this? They have, I think. Ooh. They have, yeah. It's called The Stone of Destiny. I haven't watched that. Um, oh, okay. but, but I will link to a podcast that goes about into this yeah. in more depth because the whole story is fantastic, but I'm just racing through it. They hid the pieces and went back to Scotland without them, um, which was just as well, because once the alarm was raised, the border between Scotland and England was closed for the first time in 400 years. Fucking hell. Like, this was seen as a big deal. Yeah. A fortnight later, when things had cooled off a bit, the group went back to the hiding places, got the stone, took it back to Scotland and had it mended by a mason re-expert, whatever. Mm. Um, And then in April... 1951 it was christmas day they nicked it by the way i'm telling this yeah. terribly i'm sorry no you mentioned christmas okay. day good fuck oh, God. the police received a message and the stone was found on the site of the high altar at arbrus abbey which is where um in the 1300s scotland asserted its nationhood oh right um and it was returned to westminster abbey in 1952 but no prosecution was made even though they knew who the four students were because it was such a delicate political matter that they decided it was not in the public interest to keep staring at. Um, yeah, which is quite interesting. And I think I'll talk more about the whole, just like why these things are important than high kings and low kings. We'll, we'll get into the history stuff next time. Yeah. I just quite liked the heist story. I do like the heist story. And finally, some of the like Uberwald, Uberwald parallels that I enjoyed we're kind of setting up for bigger talking points here, but the uh, the two-headed bat that yeah. Vimes referenced as being a bit too florid for his liking, which was the symbol of the unholy empire, is mm-hmm. um, got to be the Ro- holy Roman empire's two-headed eagle, which yeah. again, m- very florid in its own way. The, just the general vibe of that whole area being that area of the world a few hundred years ago I felt was very strong and it reminded me of like Dracula which we've been reading piecemeal the bit about nailing hats to their heads apparently has two roots in history which I found amusing um Ivan the Terrible supposedly nailed some turbans to the heads of Turkish ambassadors Mm. um and the same story is told of Vlad the Impaler who was our Dracula uh who was meant to have done the same to Venetian ambassadors and their skull caps. So it's a, yeah. what a fun, what a fun through line of ambassadorial history. <laughs> the two headed eagle, by the way, did survive, didn't it? It's in, um, ooh, ooh, I want to say Albania flag. Yeah. Yeah. 
the coolest flag, I think. Yeah, Albania. Um, and yeah, so our obscure reference for Neil. When he's talking about, well, he's thinking to himself about going to Evolve Vimes, is thinking, Ankh-Morpork was lousy with diplomats. It was practically what the upper class was for, and it was easy for them because half the foreign bigwigs they'd meet were old chums they'd play wet towel tag with back at school and goes on like that some way. They all they knew all the right nods and winks. What chance had he got against a tie and a crest? And this wasn't on Anastasia Pratchett but I did see it in the forums and I think I saw it somewhere else as well. Now, uh, the tie and crest thing is a reference to the Jams Eaton Rifles song of 1980. Um, and uh, the 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 song itself talks about kind of class differences, class warfare in a way, and so it's the old school tie being the symbol of, you know, the old boys club. Yeah, and all this stuff. And Pratchett in the in two thousand and two in the forums said to whoever whoever asked the question, "Bingo!" I'm surprised it hadn't got picked up before. Yeah, <laughs> nice. But I think it's because he seamlessly just put it in there. Really, it was this whole bit about class warfare and a, yeah. you were primed for jam health <laughs> the jam the jam you wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have picked it up they like their article right um i think that is everything we are going to be able to say on the first part of the fifth and there's so much more to say and we just can't <laughs> we will be back next week with part two which starts on page 161 in the Corgi paperback with the coaches slowed to a walk on a road that was rough with potholes under the unbroken snow mm. and ends on page 303 uh, with an exploding cloud of dwarves, debris, molten wax and tumbling flaring candles. Dramatic. Yeah. Uh, one last thing to listeners. I've just this minute noticed I did not press press start recording on the Zencaster tab. And so you're going to get Zoom audio, which is slightly lower quality, but generally fine. I've had to do this a couple of times before. So <laughs> sorry, listeners. God damn it. Oh, do you know what? Do you know what though? We we wrote our notes down and sat down to record. And I think that's better than we could have expected given our weeks. Again, day after my 30th birthday, I'm not entirely with it. You are wearing a crown. I am wearing a crown. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so we'll be back next week with whatever I just said. And hopefully slightly better working brains. And more caffeinated. In the meantime, though, dear listener, you can follow us on Instagram at the True Show Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Bod, on Facebook at the True Show Make You Fret. Join our subreddit community, r slash T-T-S-M-Y-F. Yes, and thank you to user Accomplished Peach 443 who it didn't get much traction, but posted about us in the Discworld subreddit, just saying that they like the they found the Discworld podcast in search of something else and got addicted to it. And and that made me happy to see. That was a so delight. Thank you. Thank I you saw very it and was happy. <laughs> yes, that pleased us. Um yes, email us your thoughts, queries, spooky gothic castles, snacks, werewolves, bats, two-headed eagles, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh the, the true shall make ye fretpod at gmail.com. If you want to support us financially, and why would you go to patreon.com <laughs> forward slash <laughs> forward slash the true shall make you fret and you can exchange your hard-earned pennies for some bonus nonsense. So bonus, so nonsense. Uh, also please rate and review and all that jazz wherever you listen to us because it helps other people find us and also we just really like praise give us five stars if it makes you happy do it in the in the write it in an uber accent 
That'll confuse yes. everybody. <laughs> Please review us in your best Uberwaldian accents. There'll be a prize for my favourite. <laughs> the prize. You've got to be, stop false advertising. <laughs> the prize will be me telling you that it was my favourite. Mm. That's true. And I'll possibly wear a second tiara. Um, in the meantime, dear listener, don't let us detain you. I, oh, I was so frustrated because I, I had so much research time and I just went off in those three different directions and ended up with nothing coherent. I, a heavy editing job. Sorry. No. Joanna, I've just said it was my fault. I know. I don't know. I'm apologizing. <laughs>